0: Welcome, everyone, to join Heirs. Tonight, our topic is uh, Proverbs and self-control. So, Proverbs and self-control. We're going to be looking at a bunch of different Proverbs, very much like last week, where um, we're just going to be bouncing through the scriptures. So, um, because of that, I'm going to pray now, and then we'll kind of go into the text as we get there. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful to you for your word and for the wisdom that is found in it. Lord, we know that um, when it comes to just all the different uh, aspects of self-control that uh, we could have uh, time and allow house tonight to look at all of them, but uh, we know that, that uh, your word has the wisdom that we need to apply self-control in these other areas of our lives as well. But for the ones that we're going to look at tonight, we pray that, Lord, you would glorify yourself, that you would help us to uh, just think deeply uh, about what we are hearing to, to dwell upon your words and to consider uh, w- uh, where we need to grow. We pray that you would help us uh, all to uh, not think about others during this time, but to really uh, check ourselves and see uh, where um, where we can be growing in Christ-likeness in this area. So Father, we pray that uh, you would honor yourself this uh, evening as we look at your words in your sons and we pray. Amen. Well, we are a generation that's known the joys and benefits of the internet for the majority of our lives and because of that, many of us have learned to expect uh, what we want with a minimal amount of time waiting. Right, we have videos on demand, we've got Amazon Prime delivery, we've got live streaming and other forms of entertainment available to us as long as we have an internet connection and that isn't really hard to do uh, today. And If, we've, if we want to speak to our friends, we can call them. We can text them, or we can even uh, we can even video call them. Right? We don't have to uh, pick up a landline phone or uh, pick, you know uh, take out a piece of paper and write a letter to them. All we have to do is just pick up our phones, and so we can we can get to them. Right? If we want to play video games, it used to be that you had to be tied to a television, or you had to go to an arcade. Even right? gone are those days. All you have to do if you want to play a game, pick up your phone. We are the generation of YOLO. We are the generation of treat yourself. Splurge spending is just a click away on Amazon. And while we are not all inclined to live our lives or to spend our money in this fashion, the fact of the matter is self control and discipline are not valued in our lives as much as they should be. self control essentially has become a trait that we admire in other people who display it as we bemoan our own ability to practice it. Unfortunately for us, Self-control is not something that God has made optional for our lives. We cannot just say we need to work on disciplining ourselves, work on it for a few weeks, and then give up. We have to strive towards greater discipline in our lives through the Holy Spirit's power, so that we may please Him. Now last week, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we were looking at uh, what, um, what the Proverbs had to say about friendship, and we just kind of went through the entire book of Proverbs and kind of applied principles from the proverbs uh, to our lives uh, and, and this week we're gonna do very much the same as we just go through the proverbs and see what it has to say about self-control now it is a selective tour; we can't reach all of it uh, we can't touch all of it um, but uh, I invite you to just pick up your Bibles and, and read the book of Proverbs it's very profitable for uh, for our souls so we're, we're gonna learn um, what the proverbs has to say about uh, self-control Uh, As we observe how God calls us to act with wisdom in our lives by applying self control to number one, Uh number two, life's interactions. Okay, so God calls us to act with wisdom in our lives by applying self control to life's pursuits and life's interactions. So we're going to look first at self control applied to life's pursuits. Now, this evening, you're going to hear me bounce back and forth from referring to self-control as discipline, and while most of us think of discipline as punishment for bad behavior, discipline is an appropriate word for us to use as a synonym for self-control, because we're talking about the type of discipline that requires for us to be in control of ourselves. For instance, those who desire to reach their fitness and athletic goals have to be disciplined to reach their goals. You can't just eat donuts and fried chicken all day, refuse to work out, and expect to maintain a reasonable body weight. You have to be mindful of what you eat and what kind of exercises you do. Uh, Or, you know, if if, uh, fitness is not your thing, if you want to be successful in life, you can't just hope that one day you're going to come up with an amazing invention that's going to make a ton of money out of nowhere so that you can just retire early and enjoy life. More likely than not, that's not gonna happen. You have to put in the time, you have to put in the work, you have to do the market research, the product development, and other things that uh, successful people do if you want to be successful. And so, if we want to be wise in this life and to be skillful in the way that we approach this life, and we can't just live life how we want to live it, what what we will be seeing in in this particular point is how self-control affects how we live life. Or life's pursuits. So turn with me to Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 but we'll start with the first chunk uh, verses 1 through 5. Okay so Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and we'll, we'll start with verses 1 through 5. Solomon is saying this to his son, my son if you've become surety for your neighbor have given a pledge for a stranger, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now Solomon is giving Rehoboam some life counsel so that Rehoboam would not be like the fool who actively pursues his own death by trying to find joy in an adulteress in Proverbs 5. And if you don't want to be a fool, not only do you have to avoid immorality but you, and put on wisdom, but you must also live life wisely as well. So here in verses 1 and 5 of chapter 6, Solomon is describing a potential situation where Rehoboam might have found himself in if he decided to take on financial risk for his friend or his, uh, or his neighbor by agreeing to help that person qualify for a loan with his own finances at risk. When you hear that, right, that sounds really generous, right? If someone came up to us asking for money and we had the money, we would think, oh, it would actually be really loving for us to, and great for us to come along someone and help uh, come alongside someone and help them qualify for a loan if they need a loan or to give them a loan. But what we have to consider here is that if we took on someone else's debts, if we took on loans, that can be a dangerous proposition for our own finances, especially if our ability to stay out of debt is dependent upon another person's ability to pay off the loan. And that's what Solomon is warning his son here, is don't join up with other people um, and and, uh, risk a good portion of your money. By investing in their uh, in their ventures uh, if um, it's a good portion of your money if it puts you at financial risk that's not wise for you to do and and part of the reason why uh, we begin here with this is because um, uh, or or why you need help for getting a loan is because we need to convince the person like the bank uh, to, to give us the loan. And so we put ourselves at risk. Right? We, 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 sit, we basically say, if this person can't pay, I can. <laughs> basically, that's what a lot of our, our, uh, our parents do when they, uh, when they sign on for our student loans, uh, if they co-sign with us, or perhaps if they uh, co-sign for your apartment. Um, that's what they're doing is that they're basically assuming your risk. If you can't pay, they will. And because this is risky financially and can lead people into ruin, Solomon tells his son that if he finds himself in a position where he has taken on debt that he cannot repay, that he should work as hard as he possibly can to pay off that debt, to get out of that debt. Essentially, he's saying to his son, sleep less and get yourself out of debt with all desperation. And and Solomon illustrates that that desperation, that intensity with the picture of a gazelle trying to escape a hunter's hands. Gazelles, they can run at a sustained sustained speed of 30 miles per hour. And if they're just sprinting, they can go up to 60 miles per hour. That's really, really fast. I know some of you don't drive that fast, but that's really, really fast. And so when a gazelle is running from a human hunter or another animal, why why are they running? It's not because they like it. It's not because they like going fast. They're running to preserve their lives. They're running so that they don't die. And that's similar to the bird who's trying to escape from the hands of the bird catchers. That's what a fowler is. The The bird catcher is trying to catch them so that they can kill them and eat them for dinner. And so a bird, once they land on the net, they don't just look at the net and be like, Oh, you know what? I, th- I think this is a safe spot. I'm going to stay here. Right? They don't do that. Once they, realize, once they realize that their life is in danger, they try to escape. And so Solomon is telling his son here to get out of debt with the same type of intensity as an animal who is running for its life. Right? And if you have uh, had student loans or any other kind of debt, you know what kind of weight that places on you. As you're trying to figure out how you might pay off that debt. Solomon's counsel to his son is, is, uh, is not to take his time to take care of the debt that he, takes, that he took on. Rather, Solomon is saying, pay it off as fast as you can. And work as much as you need to work in order to get out from under the clutches of debt. Or those who, uh, who might be the ones who try and get the money from you you don't want to be a slave to the lender. So do what it takes to deliver yourself from having unnecessary obligations to others, even if that might mean that you might take on multiple jobs or even re-examine the way that you take on your finances. And it's with this teaching in mind, right? When we talk about life's pursuits, right? We don't want to take on debt. We want to be wise. We want to work hard, but it's with this teaching on his mind, right? This teaching of work really hard that Solomon then says uh, uh, to his son um, to look at the ant. I'm sorry, I I wrote uh, Proverbs 1 on the uh, slide, but it's Proverbs 6. Um, So Proverbs 6, verse 1 uh, to 11, and then we're going to look at verse 6, okay? So verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard; observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief of uh, officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest—your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Now we're not going to look at this text too in depth because Tim covered this in his message. But the message is just as clear as it was in verses one through five laziness, and a love for too much sleep or rest will not ultimately deliver you from what you encounter in this life. God created us to work. God gave Adam work to do in the garden before the fall occurred. So work was always a part of God's plan. Work is not a result of the fall. I know it feels like that sometimes, but it's not. The toilsome and repetitive nature of work, that's a result of the fall. But work itself is God-given. And so we must work in this life to serve God and to glorify God in our serving. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Now this is not an open promise that suggests that if you work hard, that you're always always going to have food to eat. Sometimes there might be seasons of famine. What this is, is a general truth, a, a truism, if you will, from Solomon that reminds people that God wants us to be purposeful in our lives. And God calls us to work. And whether your work be studying faithfully in school, helping out with the work at home, working in the world, or um, just being a, a faithful retiree in the future, we are all called to glorify God in our work. And if we choose to allow for worthless pursuits such as binge watching TV shows or YouTube, playing a lot of video games or, or watching a lot of people playing video games or perusing social media um, for hours on end, if we allow these things to happen, or, or, or even, um, you know, or even just living for the next food adventure, right? if we allow for all these things to be more of a life priority for us than the work that the Lord tasks us to do, then we're not being faithful to what God has called us to do here on this earth. Or you can do these things, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to, to, to do any of these, these things. You can watch TV, you can play video games, you can be on social media, you can be excited about food, right? You can do all of those things. I'm not saying this is bad, but when you spend more time than you should on these things, than you ought to, when you allow for your desire for these things to be what motivates you to get up in the morning or get through the day, then these hobbies, they cease being hobbies. Your hobbies cease being hobbies when these become the controlling factors in your lives. They transform into the idols of your heart that rule you and distract you from serving God in all aspects of life. These ruling desires in our hearts, they could be good things, but when we let them transform when we let them grow into, thing, into something where we're willing to sin if we don't get what we want. That's what we mean by these are idols. Idols. That's what we mean by these are ruling desires. Now, worthless pursuits, they're not limited to our recreational activities. It can include our love for sleep as well. Proverbs 20, 13 warns us with this, saying, Do not love sleep, or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Again, this is uh, another truism from Solomon. He's not saying that if you love sleep, you're going to become poor for sure. But, but if you love sleep so much that you sleep past all of your obligations and you live an undisciplined lifestyle, then you are going to be poor. Especially if you fail to wake up for work. Uh, For those of you who are working, Right? Uh, unless your job is super flexible, if you if you consistently sleep in and you miss your your clocking times, you're gone. Right? You're fired. They're not going to be like, oh, I'm sorry that you had insomnia last night. Why don't you just sleep a little bit more and uh, you can come on in a little later? No. Right? They don't care. We have to even push past that too. As many of you know, many of you who work now know, right? Long gone are those days when you can sleep in and grab more than eight hours of sleep, except for maybe when you're sick. Right? Those glorious college days when you go to bed at three a.m. and you wake up at three p.m. or later. Right? All those days gone. You have to get up. You gotta work. You gotta do things. Right? And even if even if you are looking for employment during this time, and I know this is a difficult time because of COVID and, and you know people aren't hiring or it's really difficult to find a job. Um, if you're looking for employment during this time or you have a flexible work schedule, I encourage you, discipline yourself. Have some self-control. Make your day purposeful to the glory of God. Make it your job to look for work. Make it your job to do work early so that you can minister to people later. right See how perhaps and this applies to all of us really, see how you can help out at home. right don't leave it to your parents. don't leave it to your spouse. Don't leave it to anyone else. See how you can help out at home. See how you can use your time and your resources to grow in Christ' likeness and to serve others. Right? If you have a lot of time right now, grow in Christ likeness. And see how you can serve others. Don't just think, well, I've got another free three hours. Looks like I'm going to go watch a movie or I'm going to go uh, play video games. No, let, let's, let's try and be purposeful. Right? You can use a little bit of that time for, that, for those recreational things. But let's be purposeful. Right? Take advantage of the time that God gave you and use that time well. The Apostle Paul says it well in Ephesians 5, uh, 15 to 16, when he says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And Paul's words are so appropriate for us all to apply in all walks of life. It doesn't matter whether you're a student, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're working or retired or going to be retired. God has given us all a limited amount of time in this life to make an impact in this world for his glory. So, Do not waste the life that God has given over worthless pursuits, but strive to apply self-control to your life as you recognize the limited amount of time that we have. Self-control in life's pursuits, it overlaps significantly with work because God has called us to work and he's called us to be purposeful in our work. And that's how we ensure that we're going to truly be effective in what we do for the Lord. Uh, Proverbs twenty one five says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Right? In our work, when we are working um, and, and striving to work, we want to be purposeful. Um, we want to ensure that we have a plan for what we might do so that we can succeed in our work. You don't, you don't be, um, think about beginning a building project unless you first have carefully planned out what your building is going to look like. If you just started sketching that thing out in crayon, that's not good enough. You shouldn't do buy supplies. Right? You also want to know what's it going to include? What are the materials you're going to need? What are the permits that you might need to acquire? Uh, what's the overall cost of the building? Right? These are all factors that we'll need uh, if we want to build a, a building. And you have to plan it all out. And in a similar way, if we are going to honor God in our life's pursuits, we should have a general plan of how we're going to use our life to please him with the gifts and the skills that he's given us so that we can follow through. And even if you are unsure about your vocation right now, uh, you know whether you're in school or whether you've finished school and you're still not happy with your job, have a plan. Have a general plan of how you might provide for yourself and make a wise use of the time that God's given. You can make your plans, and if they, they move, they move. If we don't have a plan, and we just think we're going to figure it, out, figure it out along the way, that's not always helpful. If anything, that probably leads us to be more stagnant. It leads us to be a little more um, apathetic because we're just waiting for the next piece of uh, inspiration or encouragement to, to keep moving, right? or, or even just next idea. And we're, we're just gonna be so much more prone, too, to per, perhaps pursue half-baked ideas that may actually cost us more resources than we intended when we started. You now, ultimately, we know from Proverbs sixteen nine that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This doesn't discourage us from planning, but it helps us recognize that for all of us, whether your career is set or not, uh, whether your path is set or not, that the plans that we, we make, right, we hold our plans loosely. We know that God is the one who determines whether our plans will come to fruition the way we planned it, or if we're going to have to go a different direction. I know we're supposed to be in the Proverbs the majority of the night, but I just could not resist uh, um, we're going to look at James really quick. Okay, James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. Right, James reminds us of this very thing uh, in James 4, chapter th- uh, verses 13 to 15. He says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. As we know, God doesn't promise success wherever we go in the world, uh, in the worldly sense. Just because you do all the right things uh, does not guarantee that you're gonna be rich and happy. But if we pursue the Lord's will, If we pursue the Lord's will and pleasure with, uh, um, with all of our lives, we can have the settled confidence that we are pleasing to Him. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that you can't have fun in this life. You can still have fun, or you can still enjoy your life. But we ought to make sure that we are applying self-control to our overall life's pursuits so that we don't forget God while we're enjoying life. Proverbs 25:16 says this, have you found honey? Eat only what you need. That you have it in excess. Uh, unle- unless you have it in excess and vomit it. Right, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Honey is tasty to us initially. Right, but at a certain point our bodies is going to have its fill and then it's going to reject the honey. Right, and then the honey comes out and it's going to make a mess. Gross. And the same could go with any of our favorite foods. Right? after a while, too much of the same kind of food is gonna grow disgusting to us. And especially if you like those soft foods with those slimy textures, eventually that's gonna get disgusting. Right? On the contrary, a limited amount of what is good is extremely enjoyable. And the same idea can be applied to what we enjoy in life. Right? It's great to enjoy the life that God gives. But it becomes detrimental to us if we have too much of that good thing. So God, he calls us to act with wisdom by applying self-control in our life's pursuits. And and that is difficult. Sometimes we get caught up in our life's pursuits. Sometimes, um, you know, the good thing that we want, perhaps you want a promotion at work. That's a good thing. But what are you willing to do to get it? Rest, relaxation. It's good for us to rest. It's good for us to relax. But what are you going to do to get it? What are you going to do when you're super tired and someone comes in between you and what you want? That's what we all have to consider. That's what we're going to have to apply, self-control to our lives. At times, we have to deny ourselves, what we really want or would prefer to have for our time to make sure we are faithful to the Lord. You know, when Jesus says, uh, if you wish to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross and and follow me, that's not just about, um, you know, that's not just, uh, that that doesn't just apply to uh, a hypothetical desire to follow him and deny yourself. Or when he's saying deny yourself, he means deny yourself. Be willing to deny yourself for the purpose of pleasing God, for the purpose of godliness, right? We discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. And part of that means that you have to deny yourself at times. That's totally contrary to our culture, right? That's contrary to our culture. Our culture says, no, 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 you deserve it. You're worth it. And that's what we have to remind ourselves is not true. We have to remind ourselves that that's not true. And I'm not saying that y'all should walk around with negative self-esteem, but what I'm saying is remember how by the grace of God you are what you are. And how by the grace of God you've been saved. By the grace of God you have what you have. And you can enjoy life. You can't because God gives you that ability. Right? But we are to have some self-control in these areas where we, want to, um, where, where we want to enjoy life. Now, there is another area, ha- however, where God calls us to act with wisdom uh, by applying self-control to ourselves. And that area is life's interaction. So we're going to look at self-control applied to life's interactions. Now, when I say self-control applied to life's interactions, what I'm talking about here uh, is um, our responses to all of life. Uh, and, and the two parts, the two areas that we're going to look at tonight are our emotions and our speech. There's more, of course, right? but uh, ge- our, our emotions generally and our speech. Now, over the last few years, it has become acceptable for us to be a little more raw about our feelings, to be a little more transparent. It used to be that uh, we don't share our feelings, we don't talk about our feelings, and it's become a little more acceptable for us to, to tell people how we're feeling. We've been told that we need to let our feelings be known rather than bottling them up and making ourselves emotionally constipated. And while there is some value in being a little more real when it comes to the expression of our emotions, the danger that faces many of us as a result, this is the unintended result, is that we actually become ruled by our feelings. We become ruled by our feelings. Instead of letting truth help us determine what is real, the all-important factor for many of us has changed unconsciously to how we feel about our circumstances and situations for example or here are some common phrases people use when they're speaking to their friends about what they should do in life sometimes they're asking for advice sometimes they're giving advice you've heard some of these before right listen to your heart what does your heart tell you what does your gut tell you how do you feel about that right now this one's a common one in christian circles I don't feel peace right now. Maybe God is telling me to do something different. And then search your feelings. You know them to be true. Now, pop culture references aside, some of these phrases or questions people use today may not be altogether bad, but they do highlight the emphasis that we place on our feelings. And sometimes... If you get into an argument, or someone says something to you that's offensive, even if they didn't mean it as offensive, and we get upset, why are we upset? Because we feel something, right? We were made to feel something. We felt a slight injustice. There was a perceived injustice, and we're angry. We're upset. The other person might not have meant it in that way, but we took it. We ran with it, we judged motives, and boom, we're angry. That's what's more true than what was actually said. Brothers and sisters, the Bible does not teach us that we should be ruled or primarily influenced by our feelings in our decisions or in our actions. We're supposed to be ruled by the wisdom that's found in the Word of God. As easy and as natural as it is to live life based off of how we feel, we must make an effort to rule over our feelings and our emotions and lead them with the truth. Okay, We want to rule over our feelings and our emotions and lead them with the truth. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his own spirit. Solomon is bringing up a hypothetical situation in which case um, an ancient walled city is ruined. The walls are broken down and you don't have to walk through the gate to get in. You just climb through the broken walls. And in a day and age when the walls of a city were what would protect the citizens of that city from being overrun by enemy nations or villages or tribes, whatever, and conquered a city without broken uh, without walls and that was broken into is a worthless city or you might as well not live there because there's no safety for you or your possessions will be will be easily robbed and solomon is comparing A man or a person who has no control over their own spirit to an exposed city because those who have no control over their spirit are in danger of being run over, ruled over by their emotions. They're in danger of being ruled by their feelings instead of ruling over their feelings, instead of controlling their feelings. Proverbs 16.32 says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. That phrase, rules his spirit, is the same idea of a king ruling over a kingdom or even um, a, a local governor ruling over a city or something. When we rule over our spirit, we are exercising authority, our authority, over ourselves one commentator uh, summarized this proverb in this way. This is conquest of self is better than conquest of others. And, you know, even if you don't categorize yourself as an angry person, we're all prone to anger. Right? We're all, all prone to anger. For some of us, anger is something that we allow to well up inside of us. And we might feel that as long as we don't express our anger... As long as we're not shouting, as long as we're not throwing stuff, as long as we're not punching walls, we're fine. But that also might not be true either, because our frustration, our thoughts, our internal wrath towards others is just as sinful as outward expressions of anger. Right? Jesus even says that uh, when, when he talks, to, when, when he's uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, right? and he's saying, um, you know, you might not have murdered anyone, but if you hate them, you murder them in your heart. Right? When we're angry, why are we angry? Why are we angry? Is it not because we are experiencing a perceived sense of injustice? Right? And even if, even if injustice actually occurred. This is the hard one. Would God be pleased by how you are responding to that injustice? Are you responding with righteous anger towards actual sin like God would respond to sin? All right. Would you respond to it just like he does? Because that would be righteous anger. Because if not, if you're not in control of yourself... If you're angry because of a preference, if you're angry to the point where you lose control, I hate to break it to you. Your reaction of anger, even if it might be right in some sense, is not justified. Even if you're angry about that right thing. Even if you're angry, even if there was an injustice, you must, we must rule over our spirit and control our emotions so that our anger will motivate us to pursue what God wants us to pursue, to respond how God wants us to respond. what are the provisions that God has given you in this situation? What does he want from you? What does he expect from you? How does that compare to what you're thinking, what you're wanting? Proverbs 29, eight says this, scorners set a city aflame But wise men turn away anger. Verse 11 of chapter 29 says this, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Skip down to one more, verse 22 of chapter 29. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. These verses that I just read to you, they're all an elaboration of what happens in the lives of those who refuse to listen to reproof or correction. Uh, And that's an observation that was made in verse one of Proverbs 29. Those who are foolish and do not learn how to rule over their spirit are those who are gonna be impulsive in their anger. They're not gonna respond well, but they're gonna be um, They're going to be those who not only always lose their temper when they're provoked, they're going to abound in sin when they do so. They're going to abound in sin when they do so. Sin multiplies. Even if we are rightly angered by what we've experienced in our lives, we rarely respond with righteous anger. We don't just sin personally when we're angry. But sometimes, like I, like I said earlier, right, sin multiplies. We can spread that sin to others, especially, especially when we are telling other people about what has happened to us. Even if you're careful and you don't name names, your venting spreads anger towards others right, because they get mad for you, right? If they're your friends, they get mad for you. Our sin rarely ever stays a personal sin. It grows, it morphs, it spreads to others. And that is why we can never excuse ourselves in our sin. Or you might say, Pastor Roger, that's too much, bro. That's too much. Is one sin really that serious? Is one sin really that serious? my answer to you would be this. Think back to Adam. Think back to Adam. His singular sin brought the curse of sin upon us all. Romans 8:20 20 to 22 tells us that it was because of Adam's sin that all creation was subjected to futility and enslaved to corruption and that this creation now groans and longs for the day when Christ returns and makes everything right. And all of that comes from one sin. One. So do not have a low view of sin, but understand the depth of sin. Don't take it lightly. Now you might be wondering, well, isn't anger just natural? Right? How am I supposed to control my anger if it comes so naturally to me, right? Or if there's someone who is provoking me to anger in my life? Well, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're gonna lose it at times, But this is where the concept of ruling over or exercising authority over your own spirit comes into play. You are gonna get angry. You will feel angry at times. But the moment that you feel angry, that is where you need to slow yourself way down and consider why you're angry. And brothers and sisters, I have not figured this out yet. Okay, I don't execute this perfectly. You can ask any of my family members. I don't have this down. Still working on it, still learning how to catch myself and how to ask myself these right questions. So I'm not telling you this as someone who's figured it all out, but I'm telling you this as someone who's working on it. And I'm walking right there with you. so we ask ourselves these following questions. Do we have a right to be angry? Do we have a right to be angry? What are you wanting in that moment? What are you desiring in that moment? What are you thinking in that moment? And here's the part that kind of convicts us. What does God's Word have to say about your situation? What does God's Word have to say about your situation? And then finally, what response does God want from you in the moment? So I'll give you those four questions again, okay? Do you have a right to be angry? What are you wanting in that moment? What does God's word have to say about your situation? What response does God want from you in the moment? Sorry, I should have made this a slide, but anyway. This is a lot for us to try and do in the moment, right? You're even looking at that and you're kind of like, man, how am I supposed to do that when I'm angry? In the middle of me being angry, But believe me, the more that you practice thinking in this way, the easier it gets. You could start a journal. You could start a journal with these four questions as your your journal entry things. And every single time that you tempted to be angry, right? you can record this down. You can use this kind of journal for anything, really. right? Um, but uh, in, in this particular context, you can use it for anger. Right? And as you do that, and as you see what you're thinking, what you're saying in that moment, you look at that, and you're just like, man, I'm sinful. Man, I'm sinful. Right? And it, it helps. It helps to see that, because when you catch yourself being angry, then you're like, oh, hold up. Wait a minute, this is not how God wants me to act right now, and I need to stop myself. And it also, you know what, it doesn't hurt to have memory verses committed to mind, right? Because memory verses can help us recall scripture in these moments when we're tempted to respond with sinful anger. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's hard, but it is possible for us to rule over our spirit, but we can't do so without God's help. We need his word to help us renew the thinking of our mind. We need him to renew the thinking of our mind so we can retrain our mind not to think about life situations according to our former manner of life, but to look at life situations according to this new life that we have in Christ. We're reprogramming our brain from our natural sinful responses to responses that will glorify God. Now, these proverbs have primarily focused on ruling over our emotions of anger, but you can apply the similar approach, that journal thing that I talked about too, Right? you can apply those things to other sinful emotions as well. Right? when you feel worry anxiety fear impatience jealousy and other emotions that can control you right these are the most, are are all emotions that can be controlled with the truth of god's word in a typical old train right thomas the tank engine type stuff steam engines right the last car of the train is known as the caboose And the caboose's function was to provide shelter for those who were taking care of the train. It has no power. It's being pulled along. And the first car in that train, that's the the car that's called the locomotive or the railway engine. And that is responsible for powering the entire train and moving it forward. When we do not rule over our emotions, our feelings, which are kind of like the caboose, are the things that are pulling us along rather than the truth, right? We're putting the caboose in the front, and we've somehow given it engine, given, given, it, given it an engine and giving it, given it power to move itself and to pull the rest of the train. But God has given us his word so that we won't be driven by our emotions, but by truth. And so, if the Lord provides a means for us to rule over our emotions, then he can also provide us with the means to exercise self-control over another difficult area to practice self-control, and that's our speech. Our speech. Now, one of the most common ways that we can get in trouble in our interactions with others is is through speaking. Whether we are just reacting to situations without thinking or venting our frustration to others, our speech tends to tear down far more than it builds up. And because of our tendency to be like Peter and put our foot in our mouths, we would do well to heed what the Proverbs say about exercising control over our speech in addition to our emotions. Proverbs 10, 19-20 says this, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips... Is wise the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver the heart of the wicked is worth little if we speak without thinking and we speak a lot we're gonna find ourselves in a whole heap of trouble and since those who are wise are more controlled and selective in their speech in their words when they do speak Their words are are more valuable than those who speak a lot because there's more thought and consideration behind them. Proverbs 13.3 says this, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The word guard, it carries with it this idea of keeping watch. We keep watch over our speech by being very careful with what we say, knowing that what we could say, in some senses, could be extremely costly to us. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven to 28 He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is considered prudent. Restraining our words proves that we understand the value of words. When we speak carefully and sparingly, we are able to avoid the pitfalls that may come with saying too much. And as Solomon notes here, it is possible, it is possible even for a fool to be thought of as wise when they are quiet. Now, just You know, just because Solomon says that doesn't mean that every quiet person is wise. Okay, so just because you see a quiet person at church doesn't mean that they're always wise. Uh, And it is true, some of us could stand to speak up a little bit more, but the majority of us really can speak a little less. Or be a little more careful in when we speak. There may be times when we may think that we need to speak up especially when we believe we are in the right regarding a conflict. But when we do so, we should do so carefully. Proverbs 25, verse 8 to 10, says this, Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another or he who hears it, Will approach you and the evil report about you will not pass away. Just because we think we have properly understood all of the facts and all of the details on a dispute and we believe that we are in the right, does not mean that you should be in a rush to speak. Because if you think that you're right and you rush to speak, what if you're forgetting the other side of the story what if you're not careful what if you didn't read the fine print we may try to prove ourselves right only to be humiliated when the when the neighbor reveals the information that they have and you look at verses 9 to 10 of Proverbs 25 it says that if we have an issue with someone else that might need to go to the courts or at the very least Uh, an in-between, like an arbiter or a peacemaker, a third party basically. We should strive to try and find that resolution with our neighbor before our case is heard with another person. Try and work it out uh, ourselves first before it goes to a third party. If that doesn't work and you do have to go to a third party, be careful with what you say. Because if you're careless in your words and you're trying to hurt the other person by assassinating their character or revealing secrets about them in order to win your case you're going to be known as the one who speaks evil of others Proverbs 29 20 says this do you see a man who is hasty in his words there is more hope for a fool than for him reigning in our speech is vitally important For those who worship God, if we're quick to speak, quick to pass judgment, even if we know we're in the right, we can get ourselves in a whole ton of trouble. It is because we expose the depths of our hearts. If we are habitually characterized by being quick to speak and we refuse to learn from our impulsive speech, there is no hope for us. At at, at that point, there would be a greater chance for a fool to be wise than those with a rebellious heart to rein in their speech. And so as believers in Jesus Christ who desire to live wisely in this world, it is important that we learn to apply self-control to how we interact with other people, right? We have to apply self-control to our emotions and and our speech. They're all components of our lives that God calls us to practice our uh, self-control in. And in doing so, hopefully we will put the wisdom of our God on display as people see how we are applying his wisdom to our lives. Tonight's sermon, it applies to all of us. Even the most disciplined and self-controlled among us can find areas where we can grow. Self-control is not something that is reserved only for those with good willpower or the ability to discipline themselves. It is something that every believer is called to exercise in their lives because the control of self allows us to get our sinful selves out of the way so we may highlight the wisdom that God has. And as a result, we want to apply self control to life's pursuits and to life's interactions. Now, I know I didn't cover all the different pursuits that we can have, all the different interactions that we can have, but we want to apply self-control in all of these things. Now, we don't know. We don't know exactly when Christ will return. So, while we still have time, let us all strive to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness, as Paul instructs Timothy in the latter half of 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. Because godliness, it is profitable for this life and for the life to come. Discipline is not easy. It's not. But it will be worth it in the end. When we receive our prize of Christ Jesus. Let me close our time tonight with 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. to Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for your word. And, uh, well, I don't know about everyone else, but I feel a little beat up by this. Lord we all need we all need self control in our lives we all need to reflect your wisdom to others as we rein in our sinful selves and Lord sometimes it is so hard for us to see how sinful we are especially when we think that we're in the right especially when we think that we're blameless, especially when we think that everything is someone else's fault. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble, to have a right view of ourselves before you, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and entrust ourselves to you so that we will not be ruled over by our lusts. that we would be motivated by a desire to please you, motivated by a desire to know more of your truth and to reflect you more here on this earth so that those who do not know the gospel will see our lives and wonder why we choose to live our lives in this way and who you are as a result. We pray that you help each and every one of us not just just to be hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of your word. Help us to learn to apply self-discipline, self-control to our lives, so that we may please you in all respects. Thank you, Father, for your word. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.